Hello and welcome to Highland and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 36, coming to you from the office of Waterman Mitigation Partners in downtown Port Orchard. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman, where two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. In a few moments we'll be joined by the founder of the Olympic College Film School and chair of the Digital Filmmaking Department, Tim Hagen. We're pleased to be recording our second in-person interview since quarantine, and as things slowly reopen in our community, we want to say thank you to Waterman Mitigation Partners here in beautiful downtown Port Orchard, Washington, for offering us their conference facilities for the interview. WMP is a leading specialist in wetland habitat mitigation, banking, and preservation, and their president, Steve Sego, and partner, Corinne Haydock, are tireless supporters of the arts here in Kitsap. Stephen Corrine also served on the board of the Historic Roxy Foundation and have been integral in the creation of the Historic Roxy Theater's Movies of the Decade series. Thank you to everyone who came out last Saturday for Jaws. I believe it was the biggest crowd in the series of their films so far. So things are, things are definitely on the upswing here in Kitsap. It was an incredible turnout, um, especially for the day before the 4th of July, and we appreciate everyone who showed up. And mark your calendars for July 24th when the Roxy will be showing the next movie in the series, a little tiny independent film called Star Wars. <laughs> That's right. In celebration of the 1970s, it's Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And that'll play on the Roxy big screen with another astute introduction by our friend Jeremy Arnold of TCM. It's going to be a big crowd, so make sure to get your tickets now at roxybermerton.org. That's roxybermerton.org. And plan to come early for a glass of wine under the marquee. We'll hit the stage at 6.30 to get things rolling, and we hope to see you all there. And now I get to say something we've never said on this show before. Opening tonight at Western Washington Center for the Arts. That's right, friends and neighbors, live local theater is back in Port Orchard, thanks in no small part to the tireless efforts of local director and all-around powerhouse Christiane Jacobson. A perfect match, an evening of short comedies, plays tonight, July 9th through Sunday, July 25th. Tickets are just $10 for Friday and Saturday performances and by donation for Sunday matinees. So get your tickets now at www.ca.us. That's www.ca.us. And thank you for supporting this special summer production. Watch our YouTube channel next week for the next installment of Get to Know a Theater, featuring Port Orchard's beloved WWCA, as introduced by local actor and director Dan Estes. Another beloved local institution is Olympic College in Bremerton, and we are pleased to be joined today by Professor Timothy Hagen. Tim is a full-time faculty member at OC and is the founder of the OC Film School and chair of the Digital Filmmaking Department, where he teaches acting, directing, and film studies. Prior to joining OC, Tim worked as an actor, director, and writer. After graduating while working at the Yale Repertory Theater, Universal Studios placed him under an exclusive contract and moved him to Los Angeles, where he appeared in television and film in many guest star and chief supporting roles during the 70s and 80s. While a professional actor, Tim was fortunate enough to work in repertory theater, film, episodic television, daytime dramas, movies of the week, and commercials. After gaining membership in the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, he was accepted into the Academy's prestigious Directors Group. While in the Directors Group, he was mentored by veteran Hollywood director George Tyne. Tim wrote and directed several short film projects on the Warner Brothers Studios lot, and he's directed film and theater in both Los Angeles and New York and worked in Hollywood as a screenwriter. He also previously taught at several public colleges and private conservatories. Tim holds an MFA from the Yale School of Drama. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Glad to have you. It's nice to be in person. Uh, yeah, for sure. Right. Things are definitely opening up. Yeah, Olympic College, uh, near and dear to my heart. I'm an alumni and uh, local, a local institution, really. Uh, for many years. When was OC founded? Do you know? It's been yeah. many years. It's been many years. I believe it was founded for veterans coming back from World War II. So it would have been the late 40s. 
I'm not a hundred percent, but I think I think that's I think that's right. Well, it's grown a lot since I was there in 2000, 2001. Every time I drive past, on my way generally to Burlington Community Theater, right across Warren Avenue exactly. Bridge, the campus continues to expand <laughs> and expand, and that's what we're here to talk to you about, right. is the film school, which is, yes. man, I would have killed to have had that available back in when I was going there. So we're excited to, to learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, well, first, Tim, so one thing we like to start out with every guest we have is, uh, what is, going back to the beginning, how did you get involved in or interested in film and performing was there something that inspired you to get into or was just something that happened i would think the seeds were always there when i was i don't know 14 years old i tried out for a play and uh the fools cast me and uh (laughs) as uh, they do sometimes that's how we we met yeah exactly So I had this kind of extraordinary experience and it stuck with me and then in high school I did some plays and um, eventually uh, I went to the uh, Yale School of Drama, got my MFA there and it was kind of an extraordinary time um, in terms of the group of people that were passing through. It was during the Bobby, it was called the Bobby Lewis era, Bobby Lewis who was from the group theater and was a very famous uh, method teacher. Actually, he had started um, Actors Studio with Eli Kazan and Cheryl Mm. Crawford. Most people associate uh, Strasberg with Actors Studio, Mm, but he actually came in later. It was started by Eli Kazan, Bobby Lewis, and Cheryl Crawford. Anyway, um, I went through uh, Yale at that time, and it was an interesting time. Uh, That's when Meryl Streep and Henry Winkler and John Shea Tony Shalab, a bunch of people you would know. My yeah. my old roommate, comedian Lewis Black. You're you know, kidding, Lewis really? Black. He oh. was my roommate at Yale. He was a wow. playwright at, at Yale. Right, I knew that, yeah. Yeah, and he did. I did a lot of his plays. The most notable was Crossing the Crab Nebula, which was uh, kind of a one big acid trip going across the country, <laughs> you know. Good old Lou. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's a fabulous guy, really. Our times together, the main thing I remember is laughing. I'll bet. You know. Yeah. Now, are you from the East Coast, or did you seek out Yale as a place to go for film school? Uh, well, I, 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 I'm a Midwesterner. Okay. You know, I was born in the Midwest. We moved around uh, Illinois, Wisconsin. Uh, and then I auditioned for Yale, and that's how I wound up there. And then I went to work for the uh, Yale Repertory Theater, which is a professional repertory theater, just like your uh, Seattle Repertory Theater here. I was playing across from Estelle Parsons. I don't know if you guys know her. She won an Academy Award for uh, Bonnie and Clyde, the original Bonnie and Clyde movie with Faye Dunaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so I was doing a Brecht play across from her, and her agents came down from New York, and they saw me in Brecht's Man is Man. And a really big agent from the agency said, I want to talk to you, and uh, you should move to New York. You do great theater work, but I really see you as someone who's going to wind up in television and film. Mm. I was a young guy at that time. So I moved to New York, and uh, I went there with uh, $200 in my pocket and crashed on somebody's floor, (laughs) which means I should be dead. You you, you only last a week in New York with $200 before you're dead. Uh, But but I got a... um, The first week I was there, I got a uh, Chrysler Plymouth Valari commercial. And it, they put it out really fast, and it was a hit commercial. And I kept getting these $1,400 checks uh, every couple of days because it was such a hit uh, commercial. And that hook 
you know, saved me. Those were huge when I was a kid. I remember the song. I'm not going to sing it. Nobody yeah. wants to hear me sing it, but <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. There you go. Yeah. Is the video still or the commercial still available on YouTube anywhere? That's a good question. Okay, we're going to have to do up. some detective work because that belongs yeah. in the show notes as well. Yeah. So that was kind of our next question is you've got a ton of experience in theater uh, and you ended up gravitating more towards film and television right. professionally. It sounds like it was almost more of a matter of opportunity for you. Yes. When I was in New York, I was, you know, I did some theater. I did some commercials. I did a part on a soap uh, over in, um, was shot at NBC in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I can't even remember the name of it now. I remember like the second day I worked on it, they told us it was canceled. And I always felt I was responsible for the canceling because I just joined. But anyway, uh, I had some various experiences there and I had auditioned for Universal Studios for a variety of films and television shows they were doing. And I had met with uh, the head of contract talent there many times. And uh, she just called up my agent one point and said, you know what? We know we want him, we don't know for what. We're going to put him under a blanket, a blanket contract and send him out to Los Angeles. And I became what was known in those days as a universal contract player. Mm. And it's a great deal for actors because you're put on a salary and it's a good salary. Uh, and whether you work or not, you get that salary and they start slotting you into doing guest star or featured roles in this TV show or that film, etc. And it's a great opportunity to learn and grow and develop uh, how to act in films um, without the pressure. So you must have gotten a, a wide variety of projects. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, I actually printed out my, my resume off IMBD because I can't remember half the stuff <laughs> I did. That's a good problem to have. It yeah. is a good problem, yeah. But uh, I, did, uh, I did Quincy. You remember that show? Yeah. I did After MASH, which was a series that was after the MASH series. I did Dallas, Mancuso, FBI, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 21st century. In fact, I did a, the episode with Dorothy Stratton. Do you remember Dorothy Stratton? Oh, yeah. Dorothy Stratton story. There's a feature film called The Dorothy Stratton Story. And um, Dorothy, what happened was her husband, who brought her to Hollywood and pushed her on a bunch of directors and producers, became very upset when she hooked up with one of them, and then he blew her in half with a shotgun, okay? Oh my. So that's what the film, the Dorothy Stratton movie is about. It's about her life. And anyway, I knew Dorothy. I did that, um, I did that episode of uh, Buck Rogers in the 21st Century with her. And uh, she was Marilyn, man. She really was Marilyn. It was amazing. Anyway, um, I did uh, BJ and the Bear, if you remember that old series. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah, how old yeah. you guys are old enough. I do to have know. to ask, going back, before you get too far away from Buck Rogers, did you get to meet Tweaky? Tweaky, yes, I did. That, that was a little robot guy. That was a little robot, yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> These are all the shows I grew up with, by the way. This, yeah. is, this is fantastic. Yeah, I did, I did get to meet that actor. It's, you couldn't recognize him because he always had the thing on, but <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah, it was an extraordinary experience. That contract ended, I think it was three years I was under it. In fact, the entire system was, was canceled when I left. And I was there with some extraordinary people. There were about 15 of us under contract, but Jamie Lee Curtis was under contract at the same time. Andrew Stevens, Sharon Gless, 
several people that you know you would know. In I was going to ask because uh, you mentioned the contract. When I think contract, I think of the contract under the old studio system. Right. Yes. Is this similar to that? Yes. This was kind of the death of it. In fact, Universal was the last one to have it hmm. to have a contract system. Um, but they used to all MGM used to have mm -hmm. one. They all used to have them, and this was a method of controlling the actors and making money off them. Because if as your career took off, you were stuck. It was mm -hmm. a nice salary, but it was a salary. You couldn't go and negotiate project by project, and they could lend you out. So right. even though I was under contract to Universal, I could go work for Paramount or some other studio. And they might demand a lot of money, and I wouldn't see that. I would just get my universal <laughs> salary. What a racket. Yeah, what a racket. <laughs> so that's how I found my way into that. And then when that ended, I continued to work as an actor. Um, I did some additional television shows. I had reoccurring roles on two of those soaps. One of them was called uh, Young and the Restless, mm -hmm. and the other one was called General Hospital. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I eked out a living, a, a pretty good living for, for quite some time doing that. And slowly, you know, I was getting less and less work and I started to supplement that teaching. Mm. And I kind of developed a following in Los Angeles as an acting teacher. And then I eventually was hired by a college. And it just kind of, my life just kind of began to transform in certain ways. And I was hired to go develop a drama department at a college out east. And um, one day, one day I saw an ad uh, by Olympic College, and they were looking for someone to come in. They had a, um, a, a drama program that was theater-based, and they were looking to um, improve it. They felt it was kind of struggling. So... Uh, I kind of threw my hat in the ring, and I know, know what I was going to suggest to them when the time came, if they were interested. But it was clear, it was clear they were looking. There was something in the ad about perhaps looking for a new model or something along those lines of a drama department. But it was something, something about the ad really intrigued me because I could see it might be an opportunity to do something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, I went to the interview, and they discussed the program and said they wanted to increase enrollment, blah, blah, blah. And I said to them, um, well, I think you've got the wrong model. Hmm. And In you, the interview? In the interview. I think you've got the wrong model here. You're, you have a model here that was started in the 1960s when regional theaters were emerging, like the Seattle Repertory Theater, like the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, like the Yale Repertory Theater, where communities wanted classics done in their own neighborhoods. Right. They wanted right. to go see Shakespeare and Restoration drama and Greek drama and absurdism and expressionism. They wanted, they had studied these things in college, they wanted to see them, so they wanted classically trained actors that could do them. So the, the colleges stepped in and said, our missions, our mission, back, this is back in the 60s, because this was starting to expand, our mission is to train actors for this new emerging regional theater scene. Well, that, that was a different economic time, and things did expand a little bit. Then they stopped, and then it started to reverse. I said, look, we are on the verge of a huge shift in filmmaking, and that huge shift is digital filmmaking. I cannot predict exactly when this is gonna hit, but I know it's gonna happen. 
It's maybe five years, I think I said at the time, ahead of us. What, what year was this? This would have been, this was, um, I was early in my prediction. This would have been 2006 okay. that, I, right. that I first spoke to Olympic College. Okay. So I said, there's a change coming, and that change is going to be called digital film. We're not sure when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And essentially what's occurring is the technology we presently call video is getting better, more technologically advanced. And it's going to reach a point where you can't tell the difference between film and what we're now calling video. And when that happens, there's going to be a huge revolution. And the cost of filmmaking is going to hit the ground. Right. The economics are going to change incredibly. And we are going to see groups of people working together all over the world. It's going to decentralize this business out of Los Angeles. The technology we're currently calling the internet, which was still pretty primitive back then, will be used as a distribution channel and everything's going to change. You should, what we should do is start developing classes so that when this wave hits, we can just ride with the wave, but we need to get the classes in place. We need acting for the camera classes. We need directing classes. We need screenwriting classes. We need producing classes, etc. So we've got to develop this now. And uh, I remember in my interview, there's of course a team of people interviewing you. And uh, one of the people there was uh, a professor who was head of the multimedia division. And he had actually, he'd worked in Los Angeles in both film and television. and. Uh, Right in the middle of my interview, he jumped up to his feet and said, what this guy's saying is true. We should do this. We should do this right now. You know? So uh, it was kind of, that was very helpful that yeah, Joe yeah. did that. At which point you pull out your handkerchief and polish the crystal ball. Right? Yeah, in right. Lab. Well, and, th and this is important because getting in almost before, earlier than the ground floor, if you look at digital photography, you look at companies that jumped into it and other ones that didn't. And those companies that didn't are now non-existent. You mm -hmm. know, and, and and having that foresight, I think uh, probably one of the reasons the you know the program's still around, still popular. You know, what was it that you'd seen in LA that gave you that foresight? Was it just keeping your finger on the pulse of the technology that was emerging, or it, it was? Uh, I know a guy. I know a guy who's uh, very wealthy. His family's had processing labs in Los Angeles for many years, and they're very wealthy off having done that. I was speaking to him and. All of a sudden, he's slowly selling these off. Hmm. Okay, there was a clue mm -hmm. of what was what was coming. Do you remember the film Collateral with Tom Cruise yes. and Jamie? Mm -hmm. A fabulous yep. film. He's a yep. he's a hitman, right? The director of that film shot. He was experimenting with a new high-end digital camera. He took certain scenes that took place in L.A. at night, and he shot them with the digital camera. Although most of the film was shot with film. He cut it all together, and as he as the film premiered, he started letting people know that he had cut digital into film, and people was like, oh, this thing's going to turn into video right in the middle. That's going to be awful. And they all walked out and said, we can't tell the difference. Hmm. Okay. So right there, you knew what was coming. Now, it wasn't every scene, and the scenes that he shot digitally were the kinds of scenes that probably would look best on digital. But nonetheless, the point was made. Here we go. We're entering into a new era. So I was aware of these things. I knew this was coming, and I knew that the smart money would be preparing for this because it's going to hit. Now, we're 100% digital. We don't do any film at all. That's high-button shoes as far as we're concerned. Right. 
as I said to you before the interview, why in the world would I shoot something in 16 millimeter film when I can shoot it digitally and in post I can make it look like 16 millimeter black and white with a hair in the trap or whatever I wanted to do. Why? I prefer to have that control over it. So, so why would we do it? So uh, Olympic College has uh, built us a whole new building. Fantastic. For our program. Nice. Yeah. Now we have two sound stages. Well, we've got one big brand new sound stage and then we converted the old television station into another sound stage. We have dedicated editing suites. These are open. Classes are not taught in these rooms. These are just open for the filmmaking students. They can wow. go in there day or night. They can sleep, sleep under the editor if they want and get up and work on it some more. But it's dedicated suites just for the students editing it. We have our own screening theater there. We have lots and lots of equipment. One of the wonderful things about Olympic College is the, is the staff people that we have, the administrators that are able to get us grants. Mm. And the state is very interested in emerging technologies, and this is an emerging technology. We have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the latest equipment. This is available to all of our students on a check-in, check-out basis. You don't need any equipment to go to the OC Film School. You can check out cameras, you can check out whatever you need. We have jib arms and dollies, and we have high-end cameras like RED, and we have um, uh, the various black magic cameras that features are being shot in. So we've got just anything you could possibly want. We tend to shoot two system. We don't have to. The audio is, of course, built into digital filmmaking, but for Various technical reasons and for reasons of dexterity, it's great. We've got some great audio systems, so we often are shooting two system and, and uh, syncing in post. Right. Uh, we have uh, costume shops. We have a shop where we build sets for the sound stage. So um, we've got everything we need. Wow, it sounds like it. We need a tour, I think. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, once, once things uh, fully open up, we, we need to get out there and, and see this. So you mentioned a, a lot of the components of the program. What are the different things that students can learn within the OC Film School program? Yeah, are there tracks? Uh, well, there are tracks. I'll give you an idea of our curriculum. And by design, it is extremely well-rounded because of the new era we're in. In my era, because of the cost of filmmaking, you had to attach yourself to a studio because the camera cost three quarters of a million dollars, right? There's no, no way a little independent guy could make a film. So you had to attach yourself um, to a studio just to get your hands on the kinds of, of money that you need. So in this curriculum, what we've done is we cover everything. You study screenwriting. You study film producing, talking about the financial side. You learn how to make soft money micro budgets. You learn how to schedule. You learn how to budget. You study directing. You learn Postberg film language. Unless for stylistic reasons, you decide to approach the uh, film with a different kind of film language, it's kind of expected that you'll be using contemporary film language, which we generally refer to as Postberg film language. Can you give us an example of that, Postspielberg? In post-Spielberg film language, one of the things that distinguishes it 
is the camera moves. It does not zoom. It, const- mm. it has what, what we call backbone shots in it, where the camera, where we're, we're giving the audience the experience of being thrust into the scene. Okay. And we get the true perspective change. It's not a zoom. We're not just magnifying what was already there. So it is, it is characterized by a series of techniques that involve moving camera systems. That's not to say we, we come in and we clean up coverage with static shots as well, but generally it's, it's expected that there's going to be one or two backbone shots. Gotcha. And sometimes it's with a dolly or it might be with a steady cam, it might be with a jib arm or a slider, could be done. I mean, there's so many different camera movement systems that are coming out. So uh, you study producing, you study screenwriting, you study directing, you study acting. Now, the acting thing is important. The execution of a film performance is very different than the execution of a stage performance. Right. Right. In fact, there's nothing worse than watching a theater performance on film. (laughs) Which I can attest to, because I was during during pre-code April when they were making a lot of people were making the transition back in the '30s from stage to film. Right. I, I noticed there's a lot of stage blocking. You're kind of facing forward, and when you're speaking to somebody, yeah. and, you know, those sorts of things. Sure. And it's so obvious. More grandiose, point. yeah. We've done, done some filming for some virtual shows locally, and I had to remind the actors, this is not a movie. We are not making a movie. We are simply filming a stage production, because it does. It gets in your head, and the camera's there, and all of a sudden, this is a different thing. But it's not. <laughs> we were just recording what you're already doing here. Right. Well, you know, the camera is like a lie detector. It's, it's x-raying your thoughts. The actor in film is responsible for creating real behavior and authentic emotion. Mm-hmm. There's a tenant of screenwriting which says you never tell us anything you can show us. The actor's relationship with the camera is so intimate. I mean, the camera's staring down through your eyes into your soul. Yeah. The only other person you have that relationship with is your lover. So we can see what the actor is thinking. We can see what they feel. You don't need to talk about it. When you're in a stage play, when the characters are only three inches tall to the average audience <laughs> member, the, the character has to talk about what they think and what they feel because we, we wouldn't know it otherwise. So it's very important that the actors learn a series of psychological techniques that create real behavior and real emotion. And there's a psychological toolkit for that It's called the American Method Approach to Acting or Method Acting. I hate to use that term because it's so misunderstood. And so many people have uh, a prejudice against it because they think they know what it means when they don't. Okay? They think they've heard about maybe one technique and they think that's what the method is. They don't understand it is a whole toolkit of psychological tools that are designed for the actor to use their own psychological material to create real behavior and real emotion and become the character because the, the, the actor has to become the character, but the character has to become, the, the character cannot come to life without using the psychological material of the actor. Of course. So yeah. it's, a, it's a two-way street. And then the, the actor has to learn to kind of begin to live the role. They need to do what they need to do in order to understand that if you're playing a homeless guy, you gotta go sleep in your car. You know, you have, you have to experience. If you're playing a guy from Flatbush, Brooklyn, 
You better go to Flatbush, Brooklyn, get an apartment, hang out with the guys playing basketball on the street, go and drink with them at night and suck it in. You got to suck it in through osmosis. You've got to be, you know, you've got to, those kinds of impulses have to get into your own nervous system. You have to pick it up through osmosis. So um, we, uh, we have a heavy emphasis on these method acting classes. And of course, the, it's, this is really important for the directors because the directors have to get under the hood with the actor in order to create the performance. And we want to make darn sure they're not doing anything to make the actor self-conscious. And people who are only directors who are only trained on the technical side of directing, when they speak to actors, often what they say is just getting in the way it's just leading them more and more into self-consciousness instead of the opposite direction. You're there to free the actor because mm-hmm. the performance has to be free and spontaneous and real and has to be naturally unfolding in the moment. No two takes should be the same because the reality that's going on between the two actors is different with every take. And we need to say, see that because when we're doing realism and 95% of film is done in the style of realism, we are creating the illusion that somehow magically a window has opened up into somebody else's life and you're watching real, real life here. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, that illusion cannot be maintained by people acting, you know, and doing a studied performance and saying their lines right and all that kind <laughs> of stuff, you know? So there's a heavy emphasis on this. So this is a very well-rounded program. You learn all of these things. This is by design. It's by design because of the era in which we live. In my era, if you wanted to be an editor, you would go to the unions, you would be cut, you, you, they would give you an assignment of getting coffee for the assistant to the assistant editor. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you would slowly, over years, work your way up. Mm-hmm. And you would specialize only in editing. But it was very, it was technologically complex too. In the digital era, this equipment, the learning curve is fast, it's light, it's easy to use. What we see are groups of people coming together and producing content, either episodic or long form, over and over again with the same people working together, hmm. often changing hats. Oh, interesting. Maybe, maybe I wrote the script that we're producing this time, but I'm gonna do sound on the next project working with these same people, okay? or I'm gonna act in it, or I'm gonna direct somebody else's, or whatever. Like a film troupe almost. Um, exactly, it's yeah. almost like a repertory theater. Right. But it's in the new vehicle of drama, which is digital film. It's not in, from the vehicle of drama 100 years ago, which is the proscenium arch theater. That's, that's the big distinction here. So in order to meet the demands of this, of producing content for the new digital distribution um, platforms like Amazon and Hulu and Netflix and PureFlix and YouTube Red and there's more and more of them being built all the time and this is a trend that's just going to continue we're just I mean it's hitting breakneck speed now Mm -hmm. but it's just going to continue and we know the content is going to be specialized you can sit home with your computer and you can watch thrill you're going to be able to watch thrillers all day long if that's what you like or love stories or gangster movies or whatever These digital distribution channels are hungry for content. They are hungry for content, both episodic and long form. So we have built an educational program for those dramatists that want to do drama in the vehicle of their own day, which is digital film. 
That's the idea. We are, in fact, a modern drama department. Well, thank you again to our guest, Professor Tim Hagen. Join us next week for the second half of our interview, and you can find out more about Olympic College's filmmaking program at olympic.edu slash filmmaking. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, thank you for supporting your local theater and for joining us here on Allen & Haver. 